Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 160 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we analyzed the recently published results from the ILTA Inside Legal Tech Survey and the ABA's annual tech survey and what they might mean to lawyers and law firms. In this episode, we dig into Apple's newly announced iPad Pro and how it compares to the Windows Surface Pro. It might be time for a technology debate. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we're going to be taking a close look at the recent uh, iPad Pro announcement, how it compares with the Windows Surface Pro 3, which is already here, and the upcoming Windows Surface Pro 4, which is going to be announced uh, right after we record this podcast. In our second segment, we'll talk about Dennis's decision to buy a new MacBook. And as usual, we're going to finish up with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can start to use the second this podcast is over. But first, let's talk about high-end tablet wars. Uh, On September 9th, uh, Apple announced the much-rumored iPad Pro, uh, a larger iPad to appeal to those who want to be more productive with their tablets. Uh, Many in the tech community are viewing the iPad Pro as a direct competitor to the Windows Surface line of tablets, specifically the Surface Pro. Uh, We thought uh, it might be interesting to talk about the similarities and differences between the two. Uh, Since we came up with this idea, Google has announced its own device that seems to compete in this area, the Pixel C, so we might want to throw a little bit in on there too. Dennis, are are we going to have a big Apple, Microsoft, maybe Google battle here? We haven't really seen or had one of those in a while. Well, it does sort of bring back memories to days when people were really focused on hardware and all worked up about it. I sort of consider this as more like a little skirmish because I, I think the the larger tablets and the, the surface area where it's sort of kind of sub notebook area tablet with with keyboard is is really a, a niche area it might be growing it's certainly a very interesting area uh, for lawyers um, and I I still think a lot of times the it's not so much the hardware itself but the real battle is for the ecosystem so you know what what apps do you get what's the app ecosystem uh, what are things does it tie you in uh, into and so how does it fit with the rest of the technology you're using. But I, I think this, I, I think the point that's worth making here, Tom, is that these larger tablets are really an interesting uh, form factor for lawyers. And I don't know if we're yet to the, you know, the fabled electronic legal pad, but both of these products are, are interesting. And maybe the third one as well are interesting as, as we evolve along those lines. We know if we look at this, whether this is a battle over ecosystem, whether this is a battle over the platform, I really think that in a sense, it's both, or maybe the answer is unclear. You know, Apple, in its presentation, they stated very directly that the future is app. 
apps. Uh, I think they were really talking about Apple TV at, in that particular context, but I really think that for mobile operating systems, I think that phrase works just as well for the iPad and the iPhone and that they're all in on apps, apps, apps. Uh, and, and there's no question, I think, that iPad wins when it comes to the app, uh, the, the ecosystem that they have. I mean, they've just got so many apps. They're very well designed. And Windows, my Windows Surface, I, I love the Surface, and we're going to talk a little bit more about why I love it and why I actually think it's going to be better than an iPad Pro. But in terms of their app store, uh, the app quality is very poor. It's not the same. It's, it's very interesting that the developers of tools who would make, I think, really well thought out apps that work well on an iPad, the apps that they create for Windows tablets seem to be an afterthought. And we just kind of throw this on there and they're just not that good, which I think is really kind of surprising that they wouldn't want to want to have that kind of quality or maybe they can only devote so many resources to a particular tablet. But but then when it comes to platform, that's ecosystem. But if we're talking platform, I think the conversation gets more interesting because you're really talking about two very different approaches to using a tablet here. And and I think that, to me, is where the main differences come down between the Surface Pro and the iPad. Yeah, and, and I, I think that to delve into the platform uh, issue and, and apps a little bit as well, you look to see what, what are people doing, what are developers most interested in. And so I, I think that there's a you know there's a clear interest in the the iOS system. I think that the on the open source side you have a, you know big interest in Android, and that's probably where the jobs are and where you know people who want to do app development are either going to do one or both of those. And I think when you add the third one to say, oh, I'm going to you know do development in the in the Microsoft environment it's probably is it maybe the third option for some companies who are doing apps or they may just have trouble finding uh, enough developers who are geared to that who say oh this is what I want to be doing rather than to be say in the in the uh, the Apple App Store or on Google Play so it's it's you look at developers as in a way uh, they're like musicians or they're artists and so so the audience that you get for your app is, is actually becoming quite an important factor in that. So I think a number of those things happen, which is, you know, sort of why I think it's uh, no matter how cool some new hardware is, it's not enough in itself, I don't think these days, to really drive a lot. So you need to see how does it work within an existing app system. I think in the the Windows Surface world, what's interesting is is obviously going to be, you know, how, if not native, then then certainly uh, as close to native as can be uh, Microsoft Office is. That's very important in the, in the business environment. And then I also think that they all sort of exist as, as cloud tools as well. So it's, I, I think we're it's a transition. They're transition devices in some ways, but they re- I think they also really offer a lot. So I don't know. Tom, I always think of you as the king of tablet computing for lawyers. So do you kind of want to sketch out what what the options are, maybe the, the uh, similarities and differences between the devices to get us started? 
So I'm going to give, I think I'm going to give the kind of a high level reaction and then we'll maybe dig deeper into it in just a second. But uh, obviously Apple has announced the iPad Pro. The iPad Pro is going to be bigger than a regular iPad. In fact, if you turn it in a landscape format, it's designed to look like like two iPad screens um, sitting next to each other. It's that big. Uh, It's about a 12 inch screen and then some, I think. It is clearly designed to to compete with the Windows Surface tablet, which is the same size. But I think that, and I guess, you know, the first question that you didn't ask, but which maybe you should, is Tom going to buy one? I um, Every year when there is a new iPad announcement, uh, I'm, I'm right down there at the store buying a new iPad. And this is actually the first year that I'm probably not going to buy a new iPad immediately. I really don't have a need for an iPad. iPad Pro. I don't use the iPad for productivity purposes. I see the iPad Pro as serving mainly that purpose. I don't see it as being that content consumption device that the iPad Air and the iPad Mini have been um, for so many years. I see this as being something that people can use. And that said, I think that this is going to have great application for, I would think, certain professions, artists, people who want to draw on things, architects, uh, people who need to design things, uh, maybe doctors using having a having a more of a more space to look at tests and look at x-rays and look at other lab things. Uh, people who mix music, I've heard uh, it's going to be a really great tool. Will it work for lawyers? I think I want to talk about that a little bit more in a second. But I think that's a really good question about and, and I think what it comes down to is what you're looking for out of a computing device. And I think what it's really going to come down to is whether you want a a full-featured application, like you're more likely to find on a Windows device where you have full Windows and you have full applications, or whether you can operate your practice using an app that may not be as full-featured, but it gives you what you need. It gives you just the features that you need and that form factor and that it just works uh, sort of functionality that Apple provides. Is that enough for you? And I think, frankly, for me, that's where it comes down to is what are your needs as a lawyer? Because if you've got both tools, they can serve both of those needs pretty well. So a couple of things you said, time were really interesting to me. So I, I agree with you that if you're a heavy, heavy uh, Microsoft Office user, where you're using a lot of the tools and you maybe use two big monitors and all these sorts of things, then I think to say I want to use a stripped down app on a tablet is a, is a harder sell. It's, but for people who are out, I think you know, once you get mobile and once you're using things in different places and on the fly and, and that sort of thing, then potentially your the way you look at it, it changes. And then I also, to echo what you were saying about the iPad Pro in the medical world, because I think this also really shows the interplay of apps and these devices, because I agree with you. I, I think that, you know, given the display, the size of the iPad Pro and uh Apple's obvious commitments to to health apps, uh, you know, across the platform, including the watch. I really see that these will, you know, could make inroads, especially with the ease of use. And because I don't think that, you know, last time I was in talking to my doctor and he's trying to work with the uh 
the systems they have in the in the hospital system he's with, and they had just done an upgrade, and it was obviously really clunky to work on a laptop for him, and it wasn't working quite right. And you could see a doctor using an iPad would have a much easier time of that. So I think these larger devices do kind of appeal to certain niches. I think they also might make sense for people who want to see, you know, watch their movies on a, a bigger thing. But I think the the tricky part in both of these devices, Tom, and maybe you can touch on this, is that actually the price is pretty significant. The iPad Pro and probably the Surface Pro are not things you would buy for your kids just from the, the price point. No, they're not. They're both expensive devices. And what I think really interesting is, is that part of what makes them expensive is the fact that they're selling the accessories separately and for not inconsequential prices. So the new iPad Pro comes with a specially designed keyboard that uh, many people have said is a direct ripoff of the Surface keyboard. And, and that's a shame if it is, because I, that's one complaint I have about the Surface keyboard. It's not it's not my favorite uh, accessory, but you're going to pay, I think, 169 bucks for the keyboard. Uh, they, they've come out with a brand new stylus, as if, as if Apple invented the stylus this time around, is always kind of how it seems. Uh, they call it the pencil. It's only going to work on the iPad Pro, at least initially, but you're going to pay for that too. And so you're easily paying well over um, $1,000 for an iPad Pro. Plus Apple Plus Apple. Care. That's, that's right, if you get Apple Care as well. But I'll say I went all out and I bought the best Surface Pro that's out there and I spent easily $1,500. So that's not any different from desktops that I would buy in the past. Um, it, it's not a cheap, these are not cheap computing experiences. I, I completely agree. But I think, and I'm going to push back on one thing that you said to kind of go back into one thing where you talked about if you're a heavy, heavy Microsoft Office user, I think that it doesn't necessarily even require you to be a heavy Microsoft Office user to appreciate the difference between Windows and the iPad. And I'll give you one example, Microsoft Outlook. If you use Outlook in a Windows environment, and then you switch over to the iPad version of Outlook, you will find that the iPad version offers maybe 5% of the functionality of what you get within the Windows version of Outlook. There's just literally no difference there. When you get to Word and Excel and, and apps like that, okay, we're getting probably closer to 50 percent functionality on the iPad versus the Windows version, so it's a little bit better. But um, there are some areas where it doesn't even require you to be a heavy, heavy user. Even if you're just a regular user of it, you're still going to notice a significant difference using some of those apps. Do we want to dig deeper into some of the iPad Pro features at this point? Or Dennis, did you have anything you want to talk about there? Yeah, I mean, I think it's time to dig a little deeper, although I do say, and this is some of our friends say this, certainly not me, but even 5% of the features would be five times what most lawyers are using. But uh, None of them are good features, though. They're all, it's, <laughs> no, it's no, it's not. Never mind. Yeah, so I, I think that that is the thing with apps, that sort of the deeper you get into existing programs, Unless the app is a great helper or helps you out on mobile, the apps are just not going to be a replacement for what you're used to. And if, if it's another case where if you step back and say, here's what I really need, then I think you do step away from what the actual devices are and how cool they are and say, you know, if, if what I need is to use this device to work on documents and other things and spreadsheets, that um, you're just going to gravitate to the Windows devices over the iPad. And if that's not the thing, if you're using this device in addition to like your normal laptop or desktop 
you know, it's, it's a different story. So I, I guess some of the things that we notice about these devices, Tom, are, are the size, you know, so it's, uh, they're bigger, uh, than tablets and they're smaller than laptops. And I think for people who travel, uh, people who are working outside the office, people you know, who work out of coffee shops and other places like that, the size is very attractive. As you pointed out that on the, the iPad, the ability to show two apps uh, side by side or you know, two different things happening side by side uh, it's big enough to do that is a significant issue. So I, I think the, the size in, is good for certain things. But I think if you're saying I want to use the iPad Pro mainly as, you know, the same way I would use an Amazon Kindle to read in bed and stuff like that, I think you're probably going to decide, <laughs> well, this is this is way too big. And as we talk about, that we were talking about before we start recording time, that if you're reading and you fall asleep and you had this iPad Bonk. Pro, you would you would hope that you didn't knock yourself <laughs> unconscious. But, uh, you know, so so there are those issues. But I, I think the, the size is worth considering. There's definitely been interest in in Apple uh, creating a larger device and I think some of that is driven by the by the Surface Pro. Well, I think that if you compare the two, the iPad is slightly thinner, it's slightly lighter um, because it's an iPad, because it's an Apple device, it's naturally going to be beautifully designed. So I have to say that if I put my Surface Pro up against an iPad, the, the iPad's going to win in terms of design and look and feel, and it's just going to feel better. My my Surface Pro feels kind of clunky in my hand. I don't mind it so much, but uh, and I'll be interested to see what the Surface Pro 4 looks like when it comes out very soon. But um, I think iPad Pro wins in the size and design area. In terms of apps, I really think think if we're thinking about one area of the law that will benefit from something like the iPad Pro, I think it's going to be litigators. And I'll stick on one of the things that you mentioned, which is that Apple finally has joined the rest of the Windows world by allowing you to put two different apps up side by side, which we could have done in Windows for the past 20 years. And so now you can put two apps up, although this is going to be a somewhat slow progression because it's going to depend on the app developers to do something about this. Um, right now, you can do it with all the Microsoft Office apps. You can do it with all of the, not all, but most of the iPad apps. Uh, I just got a, an email the other day that, that our favorite trial presentation software, TrialPad, now supports the side-by-side. -side. And that's where I think that the iPad Pro is going to be great for evidence presentation. You can have two apps up, you can have an evidence presentation tool up, and you can have maybe a note-taking tool up so you can take notes at the same time. I think it offers a lot for, for the litigator that needs to have maybe a little bit more stuff going on on the screen to be able to find stuff or get to the right resources. So I'm, I'm, really, I'm really intrigued for litigator use of the iPad. We've talked about the keyboard. I will say it's an intriguing keyboard. It's, I think it's better than the Surface Keyboard. But for all intents and purposes, I've heard reviewers come out and say they're not really big fans of it. Uh, and we've talked about this, the, the pencil already. In terms of that, I, what, what, what's interesting to me is, is that I was at a, at a meeting a couple of weeks ago and taking notes of, of a panel that was speaking. And I, was, I noticed one immediate difference between the Surface and the iPad is that I can write in just about any app on the Surface. And when I say write, I can use my stylus and I can do, I can write it in and it will become, it will turn it into text as I'm writing it. 
the iPad, you've got to have individual apps that do that. Again, they say it's an app world where you've got to be in the individual apps. On the on the Surface Pro, I can use my stylus in every single application on the entire computer if I want to, and I, I'm able to have that turn into text. So a little bit of, a, of an advantage, I think, there in terms of using the stylus. Um, that said, I'm sure the pencil is going to be a very beautiful device. I'm sure it's going to work great. I'm sure people are going to love it. Um, and, and again, I really think it comes down to personal preference and choice and whether or not people need the bells and whistles of full windows versus um, having a device that has, I would say, slightly less uh, slightly less features and slightly less functionality, but just good enough for what people need. Well, and I think that the Apple announced that people seem really wowed by the pencil and, and some of the f- features of it. Uh, so I, when I think of stylus or pencil, I go back to my HP tablet PC from many years ago and where I thought the greatest feature when you have a stylus was a tethering of that stylus and that's what the HP tablet had and I loved it because I never <laughs> lost the stylus so I think that's that's always an issue with the stylus neither of those really appeal to me because I found myself going more toward voice for input uh, especially over the last few months so that stylus pencil thing is not as big a deal to me but I could see where if you're doing something where you're asking people to sign things so I don't know like even in the Apple Store, they ask you to sign and you're signing with your finger. And this it's a weird ex- experience. So as a stylus or pencil, I think is good in that scenario. And then I suspect that if you're just writing notes, having a stylus or pencil would be a good thing. That's not you know, typically how I'm using, you know, an, an iPad. So, uh, but I see the benefit there. And I, and I think that does, Tom, touch on the notion of, you know, is either of these devices potentially electronic legal pad? I think we're probably closer to the answer being yes than we ever have been. I think that's true. And where it comes for me is, is that my, and I've probably said it a dozen times on this podcast, is that my handwriting is horrible, but I still want to write. I still like the idea of being able to put a pen onto the tablet and actually be able to write and be productive with it. And I think a lot of lawyers like that idea too. And um, I I really think it is, I think it is as close as we've gotten. uh, and, And now that Apple has embraced the stylus, that's something that Steve Jobs would probably never have done. Um, I think that that represents an interesting and important, potentially important shift in how uh, in how people use the device. What do you think, Dennis? How are IT departments going to react to that? Is there a hope that lawyers are going to be able to convince their IT departments to start buying these iPad Pros? I think the iPad Pro is going to be a tough sell at most law firms unless there's already sort of, you know, a significant amount of Apple in the firm. I think that, as you said, what I've heard is that the price point makes it a tough sell, whether it's the IT departments or the financial people at a firm to to do these, because cause I, you know, I think the Surface Pro, to me, costs more than a traditional laptop at, at this point. And so I think that's going to be a hard sell for a lot of lawyers because it focuses on the bottom line rather than what necessarily is the best tool for lawyers, unfortunately. So so I think that that part of it 
is potentially an issue on on the budget side. So I, I think that it's not like I'm saying, oh my God, there's going to be so many lawyers switching to this. I suspect it'll be, we'll see it more at the at the solo and small firm level than at big firms, with some exceptions. And then in the bigger firms, I would expect it to be the window surface that we would see, uh, but reluctantly because of cost. I'm really interested to see how the iPad Pro plays out because clearly, I, I, my my guess is is that Apple decided to roll this larger one out for for two reasons. I'm gonna make a leap here and say that we've been seeing as part of the ABA Legal Technology Survey that tablet use has sort of plateaued over the past couple of years. It's now almost right at 50% of lawyers using them, and and it looks to be that all the lawyers who are going to use tablets already have tablets, and nobody's going to buy anything else. And so this is. Um, I think Apple, in one respect, their attempt to jumpstart new sales of an iPad by making something that's a little bit different, that might be a little bit more appealing for certain demographics, for certain groups of people who want to look at it. And, and I think that it's also Apple's recognition that the iPad can be a productivity device, which we've had so long not thought of, thought of it as being productivity, but more of a content consumption device. But now that they're trying to make it look more into content creation, then I think it's going to be interesting. I think that where the lawyers may have uh, success in convincing their IT departments or their firms to to buy iPad Pros is in the area of litigation. Uh, And and I'd be interested to see how that sort of falls out over the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I agree. So, Tom, as you know, I just came back from a a business trip to Singapore and I was showing my wife some of the pictures I took. And I just, I put, they were on my iPad and I put them onto uh, my Apple TV to show her. And it really is amazing how in presentation, how easy it is to use the iPad going to a bigger screen. And so I understand why a lot of presenters now have taken that approach. Just my experience the other night was almost enough to make me say, oh, I just want to present this way from from <laughs> for now on. So, I mean, to wrap up with a couple of thoughts I had is, is we were talking, I, I think that the potential of these devices, and especially the iPad Pro, is actually outside of legal when we touched on it time. I mean, healthcare, right. yep. uh, designers, uh, real estate people. I mean, you, you just see the use case all over the place. But with lawyers, I think it's a harder sell. And then to get the budget approval, I think it's going to be really hard for lawyers to make a case that what they're, they're doing is really different. And then also, I think Tom, I'm like you, and because you haven't asked me, like if I'm going to buy an iPad Pro, but but I think that what I decided is that uh, it doesn't fit into how I want to, you know, it doesn't fit into any category that I want because I sort of have everything covered at this point. So I'm like, I'm Apple Watch, I'm iPhone, I'm iPad, and I'm, I'm my new MacBook, and that I think gets me covered. So I, for the price, I don't see where the iPad Pro fits into anything. Now, at work, I I think I I would like a a Surface Pro having traveled with a standard laptop recently. So I think that, as we always say, Tom, you step back and say what it is that you need to do and what you need to accomplish and what makes sense. And I think that these, the the sort of the big tablet category, big tablet with keyboard, whatever we're calling the Surface category, I think can make sense in, in a lot of places. But I, I don't know how many lawyers in a law firm can make that argument to the people who are writing the checks. Yep. I think we will leave it at that. So before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. 
Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy. And I'm Tom Mile. I uh, got a frantic email from Dennis a couple of weeks ago saying that he had a crisis of confidence about his decision to buy a new MacBook and that he was desperately seeking my sage advice. Fortunately, I was able to talk him through it, although I'm not sure I said anything that was particularly sage. We always think that talking about our own technology decisions is helpful to our listeners, whether that's true or not. We're going to do it right now. Dennis, what got you so freaked out about your MacBook Air decision or your MacBook Air decision? Well, you sort of alluded to it right there. I so I, I think that what what happened was I made this decision to get the newest MacBook. So it's 12 inches. It's a retina display. This new keyboard it's insanely thin and so i decided this is a perfect travel device it uh you know would do everything that i thought i needed i was all set to buy it and then uh i saw something where somebody said well you know that macbook is underpowered and so i i you know so of course i started to look into that and i started to compare the macbook air the MacBook Pro and and the MacBook and the MacBook Pro was a lot more power and they all sort of run the same price for what I was thinking of buying so I sort of had this crisis of confidence as Tom said so I was like well I can go the MacBook Pro route which will give me more power and part of the reason I was switching away from my MacBook Air was that the hard drive was full, the memory was all being used all the time that I was using, the laptop was starting to run slow. So I said, well, if I get this more powerful, more memory device, and I go with the MacBook Pro, then I eliminate the the problem I have of the of sort of the uh, swirling beach ball when the, the computer's sort of chugging away. And... Then I started to look and I said, well, the MacBook Air is, you know, may kind of get moved into one of these other categories. It's uh, slightly older technology, wasn't refreshed recently. MacBook Pro, older technology. The MacBook, brand new technology, different plugs, you know, this USB-C port, uh, this amazing keyboard. Uh, you know, it's, it, like I said, it's so amazingly thin. So I, I reached out to Tom and said, which is basically like, my question was, as Tom interpreted it, was, Tom, I'm a new technology guy, right? And the best choice for me is the newest technology, not what might make slightly more sense now for a problem that may not really exist for me. And so I think that once Tom basically kind of went through his thinking on it and laid it out for me, then uh, I came back to the MacBook, which is where where I had started. But it's sort of interesting when you, even when you make a decision, 
uh, about technology, how even at the last minute, just like some review or some comment or something can kind of throw you off track and, and it gives you, but it gives you a chance to kind of rethink what it is and the reasons for, for buying it. So maybe time I sort of stated things in a way that makes me seem more reasonable than I was at the time, but uh, what were your reactions to, to my approach to that question? Well, I mean, I think that your reactions were normal. I think that they were, well, I, let me back up. They were normal for for people like you and me who agonize over a technology decision like this. But I think that there's a lot of people out there who agonize in different ways over technology decisions. I had a very similar issue come up in the past week or so. I have not been happy with my current phone. I have a relatively new Samsung Galaxy S6 that um, in one respect I love to death because it takes the best photos of any camera I've ever used. I went all over Eastern Europe and took pictures and people when they found out that I took up those pictures on my phone they were frankly amazed because the pictures were so good in every other respect I I hate this phone it's not working out for me I'm agonizing over what other type of phone to get because I can't find a phone that meets all the requirements that I have and and so I am constantly second guessing myself uh, and so I think that's perfectly normal and I think that really it's a matter of stepping back and saying what's important to you what are the things that you're interested in are what are you willing to sacrifice um, if you're willing to sacrifice newness for stability or vice versa, or that stability is actually coming with something new rather than something old, it's really that decision that you've got to make. And I think, frankly, that's why it makes sense to reach out to other people to ask their opinion for things, whether they know the right answer or not, whether they actually provide any advice or any information that's helpful. I think that friends can be good sounding board and and can you know talk through the different parts of those decisions but i think that you handle it the way that anybody looking at technology would handle it and uh Ultimately, you calm down and you stop freaking out. And I think uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming you think you made the right decision. Yeah, that's been uh, totally happy. And, and the things I thought I would like, the keyboard, the like I said, it's small. It's really the resolution is so great and uh, uh, it's so thin. And I, I just look forward to traveling with it. So in terms of all that I wanted and then I got a, a bigger hard drive than I had before. So that eliminated that problem. And I get more RAM in it. So, so far, everything's been great. Well, you can send my commission check to uh, my address here in Dallas. Uh, just put it on my tab. <laughs> so now it's time for our parting shots at one tip, website, or observation. You can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So as most listeners here will know, I am an Android user on the phone. I have been sitting with jealousy watching or hearing about my iPhone using friends uh, going out and using Apple Pay to pay for things. And so I was extremely excited uh, the other day to uh, the other day, a couple of weeks ago to see that Android Pay has finally rolled out. Uh, it's very similar to Apple Pay. You load your credit and debit cards in there um, when you go to pay something electronically. It generates a an anonymous token uh, that gets sent out, so it's not actually sending your credit card information out. I've had the opportunity to use it only two or three times. Not many of the stores I've gone to accept either Apple Pay or uh, Android Pay, but uh, I did find a Coke machine that would use it. I did find a, uh, actually an air machine at a gas station trying to fill up some uh, tires. Uh, I 
put my phone right up to the dial. I it my phone lit up, a little check mark appeared, and I had purchased it. Literally, it was three seconds and out, and I was done with that. So I'm all in on mobile payments like this. I am I'm really impressed by how the technology works, and I'm just looking forward to seeing more places use stuff like this. Apple Pay is free to use, but uh, you obviously got to use your own credit card or debit card. Well, as being part of the uh, MasterCard legal team that works in the mobile payments area, Tom, I totally enjoy hearing your your feedback on that. You're welcome. And I will also tell you that the next step of using your Apple Watch to pay, which I do, is even more awesome. What I want to talk about in my parting shots are uh, I have probably more so than anybody I know, I like to update quickly because I always figure that part of the update is a security improvement. And so I like to install updates as soon as possible. Most of the time that works great, but you do have to be a little cautious. So sometimes, um, despite my usual approach, it does make sense probably on the some of the bigger things to consider waiting a day or two and, and see what's happening out there. So I installed iOS 9. Right away, uh, probably one of the big things I was using my phone and my iPad for is podcast listening. And the first iOS 9 update totally trashed the podcast app. So I basically, the the way that I traditionally listen to podcasts was absolutely gone. So it's now taken care of in the second. Uh, so iOS 9.0.2. So if you had the issue, that should take care of it. But uh, I still think it's a great idea to update early and often, but keep an eye out there because sometimes things can go wrong. And the other thing I want to mention is that sometimes you think that uh, you get the feeling that everything's perfect in the Apple world and people like you to think that, but sometimes you do run into things. And so as I neared the end of life for me of my MacBook Air, it it tended to be a little slow. So uh, the always useful howtogeek.com blog has, uh, and we'll put this in the show notes, has a post called 10 Quick Ways to Speed Up a Slow Mac. So these things do happen, and there are tips for it. And some of these tips were actually very handy uh, to help me kind of speed up and take care of some problems that I had developed over time on my Mac. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at tcamreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all of our previous shows as well. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please email us at tcamreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet. I'm at Tom Mile and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. So until the next podcast, I am Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by telling a couple of your friends and colleagues about this podcast and by rating us in iTunes. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.